This week on The Short Game, we explore the immortal question, is Balrog a toaster or a lunchbox? Welcome to The Short Game, a weekly panel discussion of great video game storytelling and craft in games that won't take you a month to explore. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week, again, as always, by Nate Heininger. Describe yourself, Nate. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Nate. Um, I've got glasses, a fine beard, brown hair. I'm wearing a gray shirt. I dispute some of those points. And I'm also joined this week by my identical twin brother, uh, Shane Kelly, and uh, describe yourself, Shane. Well, you've just described me as your identical twin. Why didn't you describe <laughs> yourself at the start of the show? We're supposed to sit here and tell about our beautiful beards, but you get to sit there and just say, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm Reagan. <laughs> well, if I were to describe myself, I suppose I would have to say I have the traditional appearance of a podcast host. What does that mean? Don't question me, co-host. <laughs> So our game that we'll be discussing today is Cave Story, a game that I'm really excited to talk about because it's a little bit of a touchstone in indie gaming and the history of independently produced games. And it's a personal favorite of mine. I've played it on numerous different consoles and played it at least five times. But we'll be starting today with our typical discussion of what's new and cool in gaming. Shane, do you want to tell us about something cool? Well, um... This week, I wanted to bring to you something new and original and cool, uh, but I got sucked into something new and original and cool that was mentioned on a previous show, and that is Faster Than Light. Now released for the iPad, middle of the night last night, I happened to be... I knew it was coming out, I knew it was coming out on the 3rd, and it was a little bit past midnight, and I thought, gosh, it's probably up there, and so I stayed up all night playing Faster Than Light. So I'm afraid I have to renounce my recommendation for the week. Other than to say, <laughs> go get Faster Than Light for the iPad. It's amazing. It is really awesome. I actually also downloaded it late last night. I was up late um, playing some Cave Story and happened to notice on Twitter that uh, the new Faster Than Light Advanced Edition for iPad had been released. And uh, I was pretty excited about it. So I went and dropped the $9.99 on it and uh, played one game before bed. And was immediately killed. Uh, I've you were lost able to touch. play one game before bed. I didn't think you had that kind of restraint. It was a very, very short game. I jumped in. Uh, I got through the first like three jumps, uh, the very first combat with another ship, and something happened, and I'm still not totally sure what. And my ship started leaking air, and I couldn't figure out why. And my entire crew suffocated before I even left the first system. So that was... <laughs> Did you press open all doors twice? <laughs> no, I swear to God. 
I have yet to install the update. I was up playing Cave Story until 3 in the morning last night. But I'm very, very excited, and I figure once we're done with this, I will start. Uh, as we talked in the previous podcast, uh, FTL is one of my favorite games of all time. So it's fantastic. I'm really hoping it. we can go ahead and do a full episode about FTL pretty soon. Uh, Nate, do you have something cool you want to tell us about? Yeah, so I played through this game. Uh, it's been about two weeks now, but I think it's worth mentioning because I do believe it actually kind of falls into the uh, into the t- uh, the theme of this podcast. It's the South Park Stick of Truth game. Oh, and I've heard so much about it now. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough, uh, ex- particularly if you're a fan of South Park. If mm-hmm. you're not a fan of South Park, uh, I probably wouldn't play this game. But if you are, you should play it immediately. It's a ton of fun. It You can finish it in probably about 10 hours, uh, but there's plenty of content. It's it's almost like you're controlling you know, the next South Park movie. Like Instead of making a movie, they drop the story into this game. And you get to play through it. It's an RPG kind of in the way of Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger and stuff like that, where it's the group turn-based RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a pretty familiar style. But in typical South Park way, they satire virtually any of the other popular RPGs you may have played. There's a ton of Skyrim jokes. Uh, there's a ton of... You know, just uh, like fantasy jokes. You know, they have the whole Game of Thrones ripoff that they're that is kind of running <laughs> through, running through the middle of it, um, along with Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. You know, there's uh, pretty much every character from the show that you've ever loved has at least a cameo, including the cameos from the show. They'll they're everywhere. Um, it's a ton of fun. It looks amazing. I have seen a few videos of it, and you can hardly tell that you're seeing a video game. It really looks like you're watching a South Park episode. I kind of fell off watching South Park a few years ago, but somehow this video game actually makes me want to go back and get back into South Park and uh, see some of the more recent episodes. Yeah, and besides the fact that it's um, you know it's really funny and it fits right into the South Park world, it's a good game too. They really did a good job with it. You can tell they spent some time because um, even though it's making fun of other RPGs, it still is an RPG itself. But it 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 uh it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. How does it compare to the uh, South Park game for the Nintendo sixty four? You know what? That is the only <laughs> other South Park game I've ever played, and uh, I think it may be the uh, only other South Park game. No, there actually, I thought it was too until I looked it up. There have been various smaller South Park games that have come out. There's like a racing game that came out at some point. Uh. Um, yeah, it, you know, obviously very different because they basically took like GoldenEye with the South Park game from the Nintendo 64 and made it a South Park game. So this one, uh, probably a lot more thought went into it, but. <laughs> I actually had forgotten about that South Park game for the N64. I don't remember if yeah. I ever got a chance to play it, but it looks... I did, but it was horrible. I I, was. I know I'm a, uh, I'm a blasphemer for saying this, but I found that every single first-person shooter for the N64, including GoldenEye, was crap. Man, I kind of agree with you. I remember that for... Was it your bachelor party? Shane? Yes. We we tried to play uh, We tried to play Goldeneye at the bachelor party and everyone was just abysmal at it. Even people yeah, but who had played not, it a lot you know, as a kid. Yeah, that's it, not it, fair it was though the because first real console Yeah. Yeah, sorry Nate, go ahead. 
to to play it now you yeah it's it's kind of it's crappy i mean the control system is is archaic as to how we have current first person shooters but i disagree with you both entirely goldeneye perfect dark both those games i if you were if you were able to look at a nate heininger stat sheet of <laughs> of like video game hours played I still believe, even after all my World of Warcraft, uh, you know, addiction and everything, I still believe that the combo of GoldenEye and Nintendo 64, or GoldenEye and Perfect Dark 64, will be in the top three, probably. Mm. Uh, I didn't have an N64 growing up. We didn't get it. We, we went really down the wrong path with that generation of consoles. We got a Nintendo, excuse me, we got a Genesis. And we loved the Genesis so much that we decided to buy a Saturn. And that, I had a Saturn. Oh, God, the Saturn. And that essentially um, soured me on buying video game consoles until the PlayStation 3. Like, I did not buy a console until the PlayStation 3 at that point. And I think it was because gotcha. my memory of, like, getting burned by the Saturn was so bad. After that, I went back and bought a whole bunch of other stuff. I bought a dreamcast i have had other consoles i've emulated all kinds of stuff but i never owned an n64 um i kind of wish that i had so yeah tons of great games so my pick for this week really ties in with our main game that we're going to be talking about this week cave story and i don't know if you guys have heard about this yet and it totally caught me by surprise when i happened to cross it on a blog this week because i had no idea this was coming up and pretty soon have you guys heard about caro blaster i don't believe so so pixel or studio pixel the one-man development team behind cave story uh has put out a couple of games since cave story but not many that matched cave story in terms of scope. There were a lot of very sort of mini game type looking experiences. Caro Blaster is a game that he, that he or Studio Pixel is putting out. It's coming out May 11th and it's coming out on Windows and the iPhone, which I think is a really strange combination. But I'm going to play you guys the music. games but this looks like a pure nes mm -hmm. cave story was like a souped up snes game it had a lot of graphical elements that looked like other snes games but it kind of advanced that a little bit it had smoother curves it had better music it had a lot of things a little bit above but kind of straddling the line between like 16 and 32 bit but caro blaster really looks like a game from the commodore 64 or like a souped up version of an Atari game. The sprites all have this uh, solid color sprite uh, pixel graphic style that looks like something off of an 8-bit computer. Um, but 
the music sounds really fun. The game looks like a kind of a fun stripped down version of something like Cave Story. It has the same kind of Metroidvania structure. So I'm really excited about this game. It's the first game that uh, Studio Pixel has put out since Cave Story that has seemed like it might be really a truly complete game experience, kind of like Cave Story was. And hopefully uh, the iPhone port is going to be a kind of an interesting uh, take on this genre. I don't think I've ever played a game like this on the iPhone that I thought really made good use of that platform. So we'll see if the Windows version or the iPhone version seems to be the more um, playable. But I think either one, it looks really exciting. It's coming out on May 11th, and uh, I'm just really excited about it. Yeah, that's really exciting. I have a quick question for you guys. Have you ever used one of those gadgets that you you can add onto an iPhone that gives it buttons and a D-pad? Because this is the kind of game that I feel like would really benefit from that. I know that the iPhone has recently gotten this made-for-iPhone controller standard that was sort of implemented, but I, I assume it has to be built into the games, and I, I really don't know what the uh, what the plan is, or I haven't really even touched one of these things. Have you guys? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have gotten a chance to try two different ones, both the Logitech PowerShell which is a sort of a thing that snaps onto your iPhone and has a built-in battery, plus a D-pad, four face buttons, and two shoulder buttons. So kind of an SNES-style layout. Um, and I've also tried the Moga Ace Power, which is a Bluetooth-based one. Uh, looks like a sort of a miniature version of an Xbox controller or something like that. Uh, it's very, very small. Like, it's pocketable, kind of the same size as, like... Uh, I don't know what to compare that to. It's like it would fit on top of a business card almost. It's really, really small for a controller. And yet it was pretty comfortable to play with. Um, That one's Bluetooth, so you can use it with an iPad or an iPhone. I played with both, and I really like the idea, but the execution on both leaves me a little bit wanting, as does the... um, um, As does the price, really, because they are both in the eighty to a hundred dollar range, um, and just, it just doesn't quite live up. Uh, I would really like to see that become more of a standard, where there are cheap, easy to pick up uh, controllers that you can attach to your device and use. But the one from Logitech, while it has a really good build quality and feels awesome, is just too large. And it's really meant to be put on your phone and kind of left there, it seems like. So it's not yeah, it really a, a practical Yeah, it has a battery thing. backup in it, doesn't it? It's yeah. Like a, yeah. Like the Mofi And there's a hole pack. for the camera. Yeah, there's a <laughs> hole for the camera. So, you know, if you're on the go, it's huge. And as Reagan said, it's the price that stops me from it. Because if I were to spend $100 on a controller for my iPhone, that would be probably double the amount of money I've spent on mobile gaming in gen- uh, all together. And I just can't justify wow. a controller for some games. Mm-hmm. I have spent a lot of money on mobile games uh, on the iPhone because I sort of love that platform and I love buying games on the iPad. But even then, it's a pretty small percentage of those games these days that are that are designed around a control scheme that would work with the buttons and D-pad kind of approach. A lot of the games are really be- being designed from the ground up with a touchscreen in mind. You know, something like FTL on the iPad, no matter how great I might think that would be, you can't play that with a gamepad because it wouldn't make sense. It's a touch-based game. So really, I feel like the 
gamepad for iOS is a stopgap that lets you get a good experience on games that are ported to iOS from other platforms, like games that might have initially come out on the PC or on platforms like the DS. There's a few good ports from there. The the whole genre of platformers, though, is where I feel that indie gaming, which is something that you know is really relevant here, it is really blowing up. Like, there's no way to easily play Super Meat Boy or something like that. Some you know super lightning reflex twitch based action uh, platformer easily on an iPad when you're when you're not quite sure which button you're pressing. I think there's absolutely room for a external game controller for iPads and iPhones. I just don't think it's quite there yet. Mostly with the price, when they can drop down to twenty twenty to forty dollars for it, I think it'll absolutely explode. But only the most hardcore of mobile gamers are going to be willing to spend a hundred dollars to be able to control their game a little bit uh, easier. Yeah, with the cost being around a hundred dollars, it's very difficult to say. Oh well, I could go for a $100 game controller for my iPhone and play some games that really mostly weren't designed with this in mind. It's a small catalog, and those games that are designed with it in mind are not quite exactly right. Or I could spend that same $100 plus maybe 20 extra dollars and get a 3DS. And that's just an absurd difference. You know, the 3DS is a great platform. I have one. I really like it. Um, And it kind of fulfills a lot of the same things that mobile gaming does because obviously it's portable it has a touch screen not a very good one but it does have a touch screen uh, it's great for the sort of pick up and play games can be instantly paused and resumed so i don't really see the appeal of these devices except if you have some game that you are absolutely obsessed with that supports it and you're willing to pay somewhere in the range of 80 to 100 dollars to get a better experience with that particular game but hopefully they will come along with cheaper prices and better quality and i am excited to see where those go i think you guys are a hundred percent right of course we are so let's talk some cave story (laughs) (laughs) cave story really is a kind of a touchstone game in the history of indie gaming it's one of the first games that i remember playing that was the work of entirely one guy uh distributed on the internet for free initially and still available in its freeware version uh, came out in 2005 and that was a time when indie gaming wasn't really a thing it wasn't something where there were a bunch of developers creating games on their own time and on their own dime and putting them out into the world uh, either for free or for you know uh, reasonable prices and there wasn't really a scene looking for and expecting those kinds of games This was a kind of a project created just by one guy in his basement without really an expectation of this being a thing. Uh, The guy who created it, um, Daisuke Amaya, I hope everyone will forgive me for the pronunciation there because I'm not good with Japanese names, but um, he's also just sort of commonly known by his uh, company's moniker, which is Pixel or Studio Pixel. He basically started working on this game in his spare time when he was in college and continued working on it when he had gotten a job as a software developer, but it was entirely on his own time. And he created every single part of this game entirely himself. It's an incredibly impressive feat. 
I can't even imagine doing one aspect of it. Particularly when you look at the gorgeous art that he's created throughout the game, the really, really expressive and fun soundtrack that seems to kind of pay homage to other uh, games that inspired him, like uh, Metroid and Castlevania. And we'll talk about some of those inspirations a little bit later. But it's just a really amazing game. I think the characters also... Absolutely. The characters are just great in this game, which when you compare it to a lot of the games that I feel like it's inspired by, I think it does a better job than uh, a Metroid or a, a Castlevania in terms of presenting a really interesting interplay between a bunch of cool characters that are really... Some of them are cute, some of them are cool looking, some of them are scary looking. Really great, uh, really great art, really great design. There's a lot of mystery in it as well. Who are these guys? What's going on? There's like robots, there's humans, there's little cute bunny guys. And you kind of, as you play, start figuring out more and more about kind of the origin story of all these different characters. So now that we've kind of wet people's appetite for the game, if you haven't played Cave Story, I invite you to go on the web, just Google it, because you will find a lot of information about this this game. First of all, this game is available completely for free in its original freeware form, and that is a complete game. You can download it today on Windows, Mac, or Linux completely for free in its original form and get a pretty quality game. Go to cavestory.org for that. Cavestory.org has a beautiful fan site for this game that includes links to download it for all different platforms. So if you haven't played the game, go check it out a little bit. There's very little uh, investment needed to get started trying out Cave Story. Just a computer and a controller. And I highly recommend playing it with a controller, because if you try to play it with a keyboard, you're going to fail. Probably takes 7 to 10 hours or so to play it entirely at the most. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on your skill level, because it can't, it definitely gets hard. I've played this game uh, start to finish. Excuse me, I shouldn't say start to finish because I've never actually beaten the game, much to my embarrassment. But I have played this game really extensively on many different platforms. And um, just looking right now, I am at the final boss in my current playthrough, and I am at hour six. So okay. it's not a long game, um, but it has a lot of depth. So now that we've kind of set up the game a little bit, let's talk about the style of the game and what makes this game so special. Uh, And I think one of the the first things that you'll hear about the game when you hear it discussed or written about is that it's often described as a Metroidvania game. Uh, I know, Nate, when we first started talking about this, you hadn't really heard the phrase Metroidvania, and I actually think it's a little bit of a misnomer. But does somebody want to explain what the Metroidvania genre means? I can't because while I have played a little Metroid, I have not played Castlevania. You haven't played so, Castlevania? Which one? I mean, any of them? None of them. Really? Okay, you need to correct that at some point. And I would say start with Super Castlevania for the SNES, which is a terrific game. I've never beaten it because I'm really, really bad at it. But it is a really now, exceptional game. My uh, understanding of you know your use of the word Metroidvania, and I'm not quite sure where that word comes from. Maybe you invented it. <laughs> But uh, I swear I didn't. Okay, the, uh, it's a it's a great name for a band. I would say. Actually, you're right. Like, like uh, Death Metroidvania. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I disagree. Uh, That's a terrible band name. Well, you would know Bear well, Arms or whatever. <laughs> Bear Hive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. But uh, 
So yeah, it's a it's a gameplay style where it's a platform game. There's puzzles that kind of limit your progression through the areas. Um, so there's a lot of uh, kind of go and get fetching uh, involved. Uh, it's a uh, also I think important element of it that is that you're upgrading weapons and gaining new abilities as you go through the game. Mm-hmm. And that also unlocks new areas. So you might have an ability that allows you to uh, jump higher uh, and or you know jump off of a wall uh, that makes a previously inaccessible area accessible. Mm-hmm. And you progress through the game that way. And so I think that's the, the hallmarks of the Metroidvania Absolutely. style. In this game, yeah. it's expressed through the, the guns. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like the only way that the character levels is through acquisition of new guns. Well, that's not entirely true, but we'll talk about the item system and the gun system in a little bit. I would say that okay. as far as the Metroidvania style, I think you did a pretty good job of explaining it there. But one thing that I think is a little bit of a misnomer about Metroidvania as a name for this style of game is that in some ways, I think it's less inspired by Castlevania and more by Legend of Zelda. You know, there's... I, I feel like this game, for all its similarity to Metroid in the fact that you're leveling up your weaponry and they're all guns and things, is and also the, the side-on perspective, I think this game has more in common with a game like uh, Link to the Past than it does with a game like Castlevania. Because, first of all, just because of the feel, the way that the plot kind of moves along, but also because of the item system, the way that you can upgrade your items, upgrade your health, upgrade your ability to um, move and traverse the the landscape. It has a lot of, I think it, uh, it's inspired by a lot of different games. And um, a, a Game Informer, when they described it, uh, said that it combined elements of Metroid, Ninja Gaiden, Mega Man, The Legend of Zelda, and Castlevania. And I think that's actually a pretty good uh, encapsulation of it because it really does draw on all the best things of the 16-bit game era all the best things for any type of game where you're exploring and uh, fighting and leveling up and moving forward in a plot towards a towards a big bad where you're gonna take them on it's really a great uh really extremely well executed game yeah it seemed to me one of the big uh perhaps hallmarks of the Metroidvania concept is rather than moving linearly, linearly, ugh, linearly. I think that's right. Linear. doesn't sound like a word when you moving, say it, does it? Yeah. It's moving in a linear moving fashion. Linear, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> instead of moving in a linear fashion uh, from level to level where each level is a new level, you will actually be going back and forth from previously explored levels and the overall amount of levels are much lower but you explore them multiple different times in different ways. Mm-hmm. But every time you visit those areas, something has changed. So you're not ever right. just backtracking to get someplace. You're backtracking to achieve a new goal in an area. Now that you've gotten you know, new items and new weaponry, you can go back and experience something new in that area. And particularly, they've done a, he did a great job of making sure that every time you went back to an old area, something had changed. And something was different enough to drive the story forward and not just feel like you were rehashing old stuff. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an excellent, uh, excellent call out about this game. Uh, the fact that every time you come back into a new area, 
most often for me, it would be some. Sometimes it's something about the area itself that's changed, like the you know, retraversing the same old area, but now there's flying jellyfish everywhere. Or something really depressing, um, also, like you visit the sand zone a second time and all of the eggs have cracked. God, that was depressing. Yeah, that was a little sad. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, making you care about the characters is another strength of this game for sure. But um, I think that one of the one of the things I really liked the most about the game is that as you kind of progress through it and you learn about the world, you really start to learn about this silent protagonist character uh who is he called does he have a name the main character quote quote that's right and there's another character you find later called curly brace yeah very interesting character names yeah um so you're you're learning more and more about the world of the game as you explore it and I don't want to spoil any of those elements for people, so you may want to put your fingers in your ears, but... We will alert you before we start making uh, truly spoilery uh, talk, so... Yes, but the, the, the key to it is that your your character has awakened in this uh, strange landscape with, uh, you know, full of, full of caves and this flying island uh, with no memory of how he got there. And that's a pretty standard trope in video games. You introduce the character that doesn't have much to say and doesn't have any memories and so is experiencing the world of the game in the same way that the player is. Makes him a good avatar for the character, for the player, I mean. It does. Uh, but as you do that, it has a really clever way of, a, of tying that into the world of the game in which you're a uh, mindless android, I think, is, is the way it's Well, they call him a robot. Presented. I think android is appropriate because he is a humanoid robot, but they call him a... Robot from the surface, a robot soldier from the surface. Is a robot soldier from the surface who got conked on the noggin, much in the same way as the Iron Giant did. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit more about the plot in a minute, because the plot really does stand out as one of the most interesting things about the game. But before we depart talking about the style of the game, its Metroidvania heritage and its roots from other games... I want to make sure we talk about specifically the things that make this game stand out, the things that really make this game different from the game that from the games that inspired it. And I think the the biggest thing that makes this game really really stand out is its weapon system. The the item collection is pretty straight out of Metroid, but the weapon system in this game stands out and just makes it every minute of this game fun and exciting to play. I Absolutely would agree about the weapon system. It's yeah, just fabulous. It's so fluid. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt what you were about to say there, Nate. No, no, you're What are your good. thoughts on the weapons? You we, played this we more just have a, than I have. We have a really good uh, way of both of us starting at the exact same time. Um I just I just like uh, that the the weapons are so very different and each have kind of unique purposes and are very, very uh, kind of fun to explore the abilities with them. The machine gun having a particularly awesome ability uh, and the bubble gun being very, very strange in its first two levels. But once you get it fully powered up, it becomes one of the probably one of the more powerful weapons there is. You know, I actually needed to ask you about that because I don't think I've gotten the bubble gun, which is the bubble gun. 
it's a secret weapon. Uh, I discovered it on my first playthrough, though, so I felt very pleased with myself. Wow, I've never gotten it, and I've played this game a lot. There, there's actually a lot of interesting weapons you can discover. There's even one, I believe, that has something, it's like a rubber duck or something like that, a, a gun that shoots rubber hmm. ducks. Ah, uh, I've never discovered any of these. So far... I could, be, I could be wrong misremembering that one. But the bubble gun is something that you get in one of the early levels. Um, I think your first time coming out of the village is to go to that weird swampy area. Mm-hmm. And to uh, try and go through someone's house, you get the, I believe, jellyfish juice, which allows you to put out fires. Yeah. Yep, which is one of the strange, more video gamey elements of the game. Well, you can use the jellyfish juice to put out a fire in someone's house and then go through their fireplace. And in behind the fireplace, you will find a bubble gun. Wow, I've not done that. And it's... Uh, you know, you're right. It's one of my. It really is my favorite gun in the game because it's a pretty weak sauce gun at the first few levels. And before I say this, I should explain that every enemy that you kill drops one or more uh, bouncing orange power-up triangles. Lily yellow triangles, and they are very. It's very satisfying picking those. Up. Oh my god, they make the best noise. They make this little tinkling noise. It it totally yeah. sets off little noises in my brain. It's like. Tink, tink, yeah. Tink, tink, tink. Yes, I got little triangles. The sound design of, of the entire game, the music, the sound, all of it's excellent. And then as you collect those, you're filling up a, a progress bar uh, that levels up the weapon. But much like Sonic the Hedgehog, if you get hit at all, you drop all your shit. So you don't drop um, all of your shit. Your your gun does you level drop down quite a bit of it in proportion to lot. the damage you take. And it doesn't. You don't literally drop the little tinkling triangles like you do in Sonic. You can't recollect them once you're hit. So, yeah, well, essentially, you, know, so you, you just drop Much them. unlike yeah. Sonic. <laughs> so, in in a way, this game is nothing at all like what I just said. Exactly. But yes. uh, the, the progress that you get, you lose it really fast. Like, one or two hits and you'll be at level one with that gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it tracks it separately for the different weapons so that you can fire up a particular weapon and, you know, build it all the way up uh, and then switch and level another weapon up, and you know have a few weapons that you can switch between that are at max power and do incredible damage, mm-hmm. or shoot for a really long distance. That bubble gun I mentioned at the low levels, almost nothing at all. Uh, little bubbles come out of the tip of your gun, and they go like an inch in front of you, and do basically <laughs> nothing. But at the top level, dangerous bubbles blow up all around the character and hover around you and constantly fire out in front of you. So it protects you from multiple sides, and it, you know, rains a constant hail of death, like, across a very wide area. So um, the the interplay of the different guns and their different effects at the different levels is really interesting. That is really cool. I'd say that the, the simplest way to think about the weapon system is that if you are doing more damage than you are receiving, then your guns are getting continually better. But if you are receiving more damage than you are doing, then your guns are getting continually worse. And you have a quick switch between different guns mechanic so that if your one of your guns has gotten crummy, you can switch to a different gun. Uh, but your net improvement or net... Um, uh, down leveling of your guns is kind of related to how awesome you're doing at the game at any given moment. Right, because the action is fast paced. We've been talking a lot about, you know, the story and how nice everything is, but the game gets pretty 
quick and pretty intense during some of the combat scenes mm-hmm. where you it requires heavily on good twitch movement and being able to spam the fire button as fast as you mm-hmm. can. It is runny, jumpy, shooty, and it is really, really fun. Especially once the flying elements come into play. Yeah, so you can use some of the guns to fly. So, for example, if you level the machine gun up very high, you can point it at the ground and fire, and that'll allow you to kind of hover in the air or even sort of fly around. Um, and also there are some jetpack-type items that you can pick up later in the game, uh, a couple of different versions of them, uh, which, by the way... Uh, leads me to talk a little bit about one of my pet peeves with the game. So we've talked about some of the things that we really like about Cave Story. Does anybody have anything that you don't like about Cave Story? Because I know I do. I really feel like you're setting yourself up there, so uh, <laughs> I don't I don't have anything immediately. No, I mean, I died a lot, but I think that oh, was... Oh, no, that's part of my... it. I, I never yeah. begrudge a game a lot of deaths as long as I feel like I'm growing. And actually, the death is is kind of satisfying, too, because it is, like, there are spike traps and whatnot, and there is no, like, graphic or, like, the moment your body slightly touches one of those spikes, it just, boof, explodes (laughs) immediately. You get a really satisfying sound effect. It's kind of a, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, these uh, robotic soldiers from the surface don't seem like they have a lot of, you know, uh, craftsmanship put into their uh, durability. Well, clearly you're you're damaged to begin with, poor little guy. Yeah, it's pretty funny though. I found myself laughing on a lot of the deaths. Mm-hmm. So. But the problem I had with that was that some of the deaths, for example, so mainly the problems that I have with the game uh, have to do with the checkpointing system. Uh, it has a pretty good old school style save point system where you will see. In classic style, little rotating floppy disks around the world, and you can go up to any one of them and save. But you essentially only get one save. So if you've saved, let's say that you are right before a difficult portion of the game, and you have very little health, and you save, it's it's sometimes quite difficult to backtrack and build up your health again. Um, because every time that you go back to that save point, you will be starting off again with however much health and whatever other stats you had at that point. And worse than that, uh, when you are fighting a boss, usually there's a dialogue sequence and some other elements before you get to that boss. And so one of the most frustrating things about the game for me was that some of the most tough bosses are preceded by quite a long piece of dialogue and also sometimes some level traversal. Uh, An example for me was that I played this game on numerous different platforms, and in at least the first three playthroughs that I went through, I got completely stuck on a boss called Monster X, and I just could not beat Monster X. And every time you go to try to beat Monster X, you're starting in a room that is several screens away. So you have to, you know, restore your save, go and shoot a whole bunch of little bug people, jump up and down through a little maze with um, slammy blocks that could theoretically squish you, and then get to Monster X, and then there is a dialogue sequence there, and then you begin the fight. And I would say, even once I'd done it probably about 50 times, it still took me almost a minute to get from that save point to the beginning of the Monster X battle. And that is just too long in a game where on some of these bosses, you might need to try them dozens of times before you really triumph over them. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I had kind of forgotten about that, but I ran into that a little bit last night. It's particularly the dialogue. I don't really care about, uh, you know, if you have to traverse just a little bit, that's okay. Just consider it kind of mm-hmm. part of the boss. But, but yeah, having to watch if I could the dialogue. Skip the dialogue. That would exactly. have just so yeah, absolutely. Helped. I think uh, a lot of these old school games have a save mechanic that is about as old as the floppy icon that is uh that is indicating it in this situation and if we were playing this game if if someone were making this game today i i would expect it to use an autosave mechanic yeah uh, i don't even care the, if they have an autosave mechanic i really just wanted a save point right before the bosses or at least an option when you died during a boss fight to restore back to the beginning of the boss fight instead of back to the last save point yeah for what it's worth yeah. from time to time there are hidden save points so uh, not that i think in your particular instance there might be one that's closer but i did uh die a couple times at one spot that kind of had you go through a really long tunnel full of bad guys and in the middle of that tunnel there was a block you could shoot at the top that dropped down a save point that i did not oh yeah i remember that one the the first couple times so you know they do at least have that. Saving is a bit of a reward sometimes. And secrets are a big element of this game. I don't think I found that, but there are so many little hidden items that can affect your gameplay in a significant way. Like mm-hmm. the bubble gun is another great example. Yeah, I can't believe I've never discovered that. And I've played this game um, at least five times. Frankly, Reagan, it w- I'm surprised too because it was a pretty obvious... Uh, <laughs> Screw you guys. It's... <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of really great items to find in this game and they really can affect your gameplay um a- yeah. another thing that did bother me about the game that i kind of feel bad complaining about um but so how many how have you have you guys completed the game gotten i have the completed the game okay here's i uh I was actually fortunate enough to be introduced to this game uh, very close to when it came out, when it was called Dokutsu uh, Monogatari. <laughs> uh, let me let me try that again for you. It's uh, Dokatsu Monogatari, which Thank is you. Japanese for cave story. I assumed it's Daikatana. Is that right? Daikatana uh, Monoglutamate. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thank you. I uh, I completed it back at that time and have always held it in very high regard but had not played it again until we started prepping for this podcast, and I have not completed it uh, in preparation for this. Well, I still haven't beaten the game, because every time that I got to the boss, uh, Monster X, I would get completely stuck. And then on my most recent playthrough, I finally breezed right past Monster X, uh, killed the core, and I am now battling the final cave, the final battle with the Doctor. So I am right at the end. But I have done some spoilery reading on my own, and this might be a good time for us to announce that we are now going to be entering the spoilers-rich part of our episode. So if you wish to avoid spoilers, maybe stop listening now and come back once you've had a chance to explore the game a little bit. I'll give you a moment.
So plot-wise, there's a lot going for this game, but one of the things that you will run into is that it does have a sort of a branching plot a little bit, and it has multiple endings. And one of the things... I have nothing but praise for the plot, except for this small niggling detail, which I'm going to complain about now, and then we'll forget about. Um, I There are a few different branches to the plot. There's basically a good ending and a bad ending, uh, as well as a couple of little minor endings, like something called like the coward ending, where you can um, just leave the island and all that. But one thing that really bothered me is that they do a great job of building up empathy for certain characters, like Curly Brace, the other robot, and I really wanted to save her life in the core battle. And I kept trying again and again to figure out how to save Curly Brace's life, because I had read on the internet that it was definitely possible to save Curly Brace's life. But I found out that during that scene, you can't, you need an item to save her life called the tow rope. And the tow rope doesn't appear in the game if you didn't, if you have already picked up an item called the Booster 0.8. The Booster 0.8 is a jetpack item that you pick up from Dr. Booster um, a little bit earlier in the game. And I did pick up the Booster because who wouldn't pick up a jetpack? It's a jetpack. It's right there. You're not going to just be like, <laughs> I'm, I don't want a jetpack. Because later on in the game, I might suddenly discover a rope that's completely unrelated. Those two things totally don't have any connection at all. And yet, yeah. if you did you check up that the system pack, requirements for the jetpack? Did it say on there like it requires no no tow rope? Oh my god, no! It didn't say anything at all about it. And I'm so frustrated because yeah, I really kind of wanted to save Curly Brace's life. She's really a yeah, neat that's character. And then when I got Am to Am I that... misremembering, Reagan? But I think that the you get a second chance to save Curly Brace with the hell thing. Or I could be wrong about really? that. Really? No, I had no idea. My memory is pretty cloudy, but there is a there's a extra element that you can access right as you're ending the game, if under certain circumstances, that's a speedrun world uh that they call hell. Hmm. And it really is hell. Uh, that element of the game I tried a million times and then gave up on and then got a less cool ending. But, um, it's a, uh, it's a cave system that is just purely, like, as sadistic as many of the elements in this game are, uh, this is the way, way worst, uh, scariest, most deadly, like, spikes everywhere <laughs> type of room. And it's, also timed which most other elements of the game are not so um i think yeah, that may it, have been added later isn't that part of the expansion content that they added in the WiiWare version no it can't be because uh i've only ever played the mac initial release interesting well anyway i feel bad complaining about that because i feel like the plot is really really well crafted but that just that one little detail uh, bothered me. Some of the arbitrariness of some of the choices that determine the plot. Uh, but in some other ways, that can be really fun. You know, there are things like, for example, you can be wearing or using certain items at certain different times, and it kind of tweaks the way things happen or the way things respond. So, for example, with the normal ending, um, you can get a slightly different version of the normal ending if you happen to be wearing the Mimiga mask uh, during the ending. Um and there's some other little uh, little differences that can come up depending on slight choices that you make during the game or what items you have equipped, that kind of thing. So it really is pretty cool, but it 
can be a little frustrating when you want the plot to go one way and it doesn't. I am a petulant child and I want all of the things to go right. And that's fair. Yeah. This is America. Mm-hmm. So let's talk mm-hmm. about the plot then. Now that we are spoiling things for people, um, Shane, can you kind of give me a summary of the plot? I can. It's one of these plots that, uh, to me, is just the essence of the 16-bit era in terms of Japanese video game plot writing. Um, it's an, another world entirely. Uh, we don't learn much about the world outside of this floating island. But we do learn that it's populated by cute creatures called Mimigas. And the Mimigas are little bunny men that live in a... And bunny women. And a few bunny women that live in a sort of a clannish society of a, that consists of a single, uh, strangely vertically built town. And. <laughs> well, they are bunnies. They can uh, jump quite high. And they also, uh, a vertical hierarchy. They have, like, the number one of the city and the number two of the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess I, I didn't really pay close attention to, uh, uh, how the, the, totem pole rank of the different uh, bunny critters was. Uh, but they did have, you know, you saw an interesting slice of life as you explore that village. You can see that they farm and eat flowers in uh, a variety of colors. Um, and that you know, they they definitely want to avoid eating the red flowers. They seem to do a lot of fishing. They do. They do some fishing in a single uh, cave pool. Did you guys kill the fish inside of that? Yes. There is a weird blowfish yeah, it's, in there. It's a really happy-looking fish. Yeah, I don't I felt remember bad if when I killed, killed it or not. Well, don't, because I felt bad when I was, I was like, oh, I wonder what this will drop. And it just kind of cries and then pops. <laughs> and I was like, Aww. oh, sorry, orange fish. So into this Mimiga village drops your player character, uh, who is uh, sometimes referred to as quote, but his name is really used much in the game. He is a white faced red baseball cap wearing robot, uh, who has no memory and is, uh, as we play the game and, you know, discover more about the plot is a robot from the surface. Uh, the floating island where the Mimigas live uh, is constantly being attacked by ver- somebody, I don't know, countries, I presume, on the surface with these robots that are coming up to the island to hopefully either kill or capture Mimigas and uh, you know do harm. Um, so you're one of these soldier they're robots. they're so valuable, these these ro- these bunny people well presumably they're valuable because if you feed them the red flowers they turn from these adorable bunny people into these enormous evil looking bunny people and they go on rampages and that's kind of the core uh driving force of the of the plot of the game is that the doctor has discovered this and he is capturing uh you say mimigas i've always said mamigas that's what i've said as well but yeah whatever um so capture what is planning to capture these He's having mimigas. mimosas. He's capturing these mimosas, feeding them red flowers to win whatever war it is that they're fighting on the surface. And so you're kind of tasked having forgotten that you are actually were actually most likely sent there to kill all the mimigas, you have been tasked 
uh, and allied with them to kind of fight the doctor and save them from that terrible, terrible doom. Yes, and there's also some, uh, now the, the doctor is only one of the humans on the island. There's a, there's a family of, of humans that, um, one of whom has been transformed into a mimosa. And <laughs> More than one of whom, actually. There was the, the one who's like a tech specialist who you meet in the, uh, in the later levels of the game and, uh, somebody else as well. So the doctor who, the whole family, a uh, mother, a father, a couple of kids, a couple of other people, and the doctor, um, who was apparently an actual medical doctor, uh, went up to the island to study the Mimigas and investigate things, you know, scientific kind of mission. And the doctor found the demon crown, uh, which is a little unclear to me at this point exactly what it is or does, because I haven't actually fought the doctor yet. But basically, he went mad with power. And he wants to enslave the Mimigas and use them and their rampaging red flower eating, you know, selves to take over the surface world. And good luck to him. <laughs> so that's the driving force of the game. That's the big bad guy is the doctor and the one that you're chasing down throughout the game. He does have two big sidekicks though oh they are so great my favorite character in the game is balrog the balrog and misery yeah misery and balrog so what is balrog balrog is a giant lunchbox a an angry television he looks kind of like a suitcase to me (laughs) i read somewhere that the initial like beta version of the game all of the characters were meant to look like Balrog, and it was because they were all bars <laughs> of soap that talked and walked around. <laughs> That's funny. But he, Balrog is the Yay. only one that was left over from the original beta version of the game. I actually think that's really charming. So I'm not sure if Balrog is a suitcase or a lunchbox or a bar of soap, but he's a gigantic rectangular object with a handle and eyes and hands and a mouth and feet. And he's and very he's heavy. Dumb as a box of rocks. He's kind of the like witless, you know, strength. The big dumb tank that you fight Isn't over a... and over and over. Yeah, you do run into him again and again, <laughs> and and he he's just he is as he is. Oh, that's probably what he actually is: is a box of rocks. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he there's a there's some element in the game where in your interactions with him because. These two characters, uh, Misery and Balrog, they're the they're the, the lackeys of the Doctor, but they are created to be sympathetic characters, definitely. And uh, through your interactions with them, you I believe eventually you win them both to your side. Uh, and in some of your initial interactions with them, you get a few choices that you can make, like things you can say that actually play out in how you win these characters over, how many times you have to fight them, etc. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I will say that the characters are all really expressive. They're all really interesting. They all have adorable art. Um, everything about the characters in this game is is pretty spot on. Even more minor characters, like some of the less significant Mimigas, uh, are charming and distinctive and different. Another character that I thought was really cool was King, because he's the... Mimiga, who's left in charge after Arthur, the 
hero of the Mimigas was killed before the, the action of the game. And he initially seems like kind of a bad guy and a jerk, but he it it's clear he's doing what he must to save his people. And he, yeah, he's he just the protective old, older brother yeah. or whatever. Great characters. He, he, t- his character reminded me of like um, the tunnel snakes from uh, <laughs> from Fallout. He's running around in a leather jacket with a with a switchblade with, with a switchblade knife. Well, you do pick up uh, his sword as one of your weapons and actually it became one of my favorite weapons in the game and it's kind of weirdly moving when you level the sword all the way up and you throw it at people which is your action with the sword um you don't just see the sword animation you see a sort of a ghost of king following the sword and attacking your enemies for you because he's he's still with you protecting his people i thought it was really cute Mm -hmm. so the plot of the game clearly is top-notch for a 2D action game of its kind. Um, It's also really got an amazing soundtrack. Cave Story, every element of Cave Story was created entirely from scratch by this one guy. And I think it's amazing how multi-talented he was because no matter how good a game developer you are, that doesn't make you a musician. But this guy has got it in spades. The soundtrack for Cave Story is absolutely one of my favorite video game soundtracks of all time. and it it's a really driving soundtrack. The thing I like about video game music when it's done well is that it draws you in without breaking your concentration. Absolutely. And this game does it in spades. You both just said in spades. Oh. Yes, we sure did. That's good. Yep. We did in spades. <laughs> Absolutely. It 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 the the music fits the tone of the levels very well. It picks up with the action. It it's perfect. It's it's still one of my favorite video game soundtracks and I think set the bar pretty high for future indie platformer games to really take some time and work on their music as well. And I downloaded the soundtrack to this game and there are a ton of tracks. There's a unique track for almost every major room or area. There are unique tracks for many of the bosses um, and all of them are top-notch, super fun, chiptune soundtracks. Uh, interestingly, Even in the wolf style, they have, a, they have a different soundtrack for every character it seems that's true a lot of the characters have like there's a balrog theme that it plays whenever he comes on and there's themes for most of the uh big bosses there's a really really excellent song that i've just started really jamming out to that happens when you get into the final cave that is just really super cool and even the title screen has a absolutely fantastic catchy song uh, that interestingly enough is actually the very first thing that Pixel created when he made this game. Uh, I actually read that the very first things that he created were the 
music that goes with the title screen and some of the basic physics of moving around and traversing levels, which we didn't really talk about so much, but really one of the things that makes this game feel different from just playing an SNES game or another game from the era of games that inspired this game is that while it has this pixel art style, it actually feels like it has the physics somewhat of a modern game. Uh, there's something just really natural and organic and not at all digital about the way you move around in this game. It just feels really fun just to jump around. Yeah, in the way that Mario did. I think that one of the things that really made uh, the NES games uh, that made Mario special is something that makes this game special, and that is that you have this floaty feel of control but also of weight to the character that if you look at games that came even in the same era uh, or, you know, up to and around that, uh, the experience of jumping and running around is very different. Like, there are some key things that made Mario movement and make this sort of movement the same and make them different from a lot of other games, like the ability to jump and then change directions in midair. Mm -hmm. Or uh, the kind of inertial feel of, like, when you do a fast change while you're running on the ground. So that combined with the kind of physics effects that they it feels like they're applying when you fire some of these guns that have a big recoil and things like that combines to make a game where you always feel like you're really well in control of a character, even though you're working with... Um, it's definitely designed for a D-pad and to give you like good control with that. Um, and then just above and beyond that, you can really play with that physics, uh, along with, you know, long drops, elements in the world, uh, stuff like the, the trick with the, um, the machine gun. When you really ramp up the machine gun, you can use it to slow a descent or to hover. Mm -hmm. Uh, it really does really, bring really a lot of fun back into just the movement and traversing levels part of this game. One of the things I sometimes run into as a frustration with games in the same genre, I've recently played Guacamelee, for example, which is another game in the sort of Metroidvania style, um, and other games like actual Castlevania games, is that while I'll often really, really enjoy the combat, sometimes I get frustrated or bored with just some of the puzzles and level traversal, you know, getting from place to place within the game. And there is never a moment in Cave Story where I felt like, ugh, I have to go through this area again. I have to jump over that obstacle again. You know, it's every moment of just moving your character around the screen has a tactile fun feel. Yeah, and I, it leads to a lot of um, creativity with how you go about things, too. I, I bet if you watch two different people kind of clearing a level or defeating a boss, they may have two very different strategies Absolutely. based on kind of the guns that they've been preferring and uh, the ones that you've leveled up and how you've kind of learned to use them. This is a really fun game to watch playthroughs of on YouTube because there's a lot of variety. People take this game and do very different, interesting things with it. That brings me a, a question. What was you guys' overall play strategy? Mine was really heavy on the very first gun, the Polar Star, uh, that I felt like could really charge up really nicely. Oh, I swapped and, the uh, Polar Star as soon as I could for the machine gun. Oh, yeah. And then the bubble gun was, was key to me. I don't know if there was, uh, 
Um, I think there were some guns where if you got one, you couldn't get another. I use the but, sword uh, almost constantly in certain levels because the sword you never got that weapon. I can't believe you never got the sword. Did King die when you were playing it? Yes, but I and think... you didn't walk up to him and examine his body. That sounds mm, kind of weird, no. doesn't it? I never got I to used, say goodbye. Yeah. You never got to say I goodbye used, to King. <laughs> I use the fireball gun a lot as well. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's very good if uh, for a lot of ground based mm-hmm. bad guys. You can just run across the level, just spamming it, and just kind of clear the path in front of you. Mm-hmm. Very important gun. The The sword is great because when you hit some, if you have the sword leveled all the way up and you hit somebody, you know, something with the sword, it has a short range, but it also takes out all of the nearby enemies. So it kind of has a cloud That's of nice. damage or rather, I think what happens is it damages the first person and then everybody else gets, everybody within a certain range of them gets a certain like fraction of that damage. And that was the only way I was able to beat certain enemies that just throw, you know, random little objects like like how Monster X spams you with little flying fish. Uh, with those sorts of things, the only way I was able to survive those types of attacks was to just continually hit their bullets with the sword and kind of destroy them in a cloud. So anyway, there's a lot of different play styles, really amazing collection of games that you can, or of weapons you can try. And obviously you can play through the game in a lot of different ways with a different set of weapons each time. I think that's one of the most strong things about the game. lot of replayability so what versions of the game have you guys played i've only played the mac version of the original cave story the uh the download that i had was is still on my computer from the very first time i played it and when i originally downloaded it i got it off of that cave story fan site that i mentioned i think it's cavestory.org uh and at that time, you had to download the game file and then apply an English translation patch mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. it. Um, luckily, I think the translation was really good. Um, I don't know if there that's changed at all in any of the current versions. I know there are changes to the translation. Some, they yeah, uh, uh, so there's some updated versions of it too, right? Mm-hmm. I have played multiple versions of the game over the years. I first played the game as you did, Shane, with the fan-translated version of the OS X port of the original Windows freeware release. So, you know, kind of going in chronological order, first was the game that Pixel released himself for free on his website, which was in Japanese and ran on Windows PCs only. Um, but it was a huge success. A lot of people played it, even people who didn't speak Japanese. Very shortly, there was a English translation of the game. I'm not really sure who did that, but it was a pretty darn good translation. Um, following that, there were ports of that same original game to a lot of other platforms. Uh, someone created a Linux port of the engine for the game called NX Engine. Uh, I'm not sure where NX comes from, but NX Engine is just a uh, Linux re-implementation of the game's original code. And actually, I think the OS X port is based on that NX Engine port, because essentially what it does is re-implements the code of the game, and you have to, if you were using that version on Linux or other devices, you had to extract the game files from the original Windows release and put them into the NX Engine release um, so that you wouldn't be, you know, violating uh, Pixel's copyright. 
And that version was ported to practically everything. So that's why you would have seen over the late 2000s, uh, Cave Story appearing on devices like the PSP or as a homebrew title that you could run on flashcards for the original Nintendo DS. So the, the game got ported really, really widely in its original form because it was released for free and there were some open source implementations of the engine that runs the game. Since that time, uh, the game has also been released commercially a few times. So today you can go and get this game not only in its original free form, but you can get an updated and expanded version of the game that is blessed by and uh, uh, blessed by Pixel himself, but published by uh, other companies uh, on the Wii as a part of the WiiWare download service. And I hear that that port is really, really good. Um, there is also a port of the game for the DSi and the Nintendo 3DS, uh, which I have played on the 3DS and can also attest to being a really, really good, uh, accurate, great port of the game that keeps the original art style, but uh, brings in some of the new content from the WiiWare version. I should have mentioned that the WiiWare version has a new art style that is different from the original art, but you can turn it on and off. And it actually... It's a really, really good update. Basically, it just takes all of the pixel art graphics from the original games game and kind of doubles the resolution of them. Um, so I'd say it's a matter of preference which one you go with, but the feel of the game is identical. The look of the game is extremely similar, and you can make your choice about which version of the graphics you prefer. I've actually played it through with both and think they both look great. Um, the... 3DS and DSi port of the original game doesn't have those updated graphics, but it does have the additional content like some time trials and challenge modes and a the addition of a difficulty control where there's now a original difficulty, an easy difficulty, and a hard difficulty that you can set it to um, in the WiiWare version and the DS version and some of the later versions. Uh, there's also a really terrible port for the 3DS, so there's actually two ports for the 3DS. Do not get uh, Cave Story 3D. That's the version that came out on a cartridge. You can't download it. And that version was a re-implementation of the game with 3D graphics and an attempt to use the 3D technology on the Nintendo DS or 3DS. And I think it's a failure. It's a really not the not the version to play but the uh the version that you can download off of the eShop is the original game or more or less and it's a really good version yeah i was just looking at this 3ds version and the cave story 3d and it does look entirely different it's completely rebuilt with 3d graphics for everything and looking over it uh it looks interesting mm -hmm. I, i'm sad to hear that it's not a really good well, adaptation of the game. I actually probably should preface that by saying that I have not played it, but I've seen a lot of screens and I just don't think that the look of the game appeals to me in the 3D form that they've sort of created there. And I also just don't think that... Looks like a 64 game. Yeah, it doesn't look very good to me. So I wouldn't recommend that version. Um, finally, the version that I've just finished playing or just nearly finished playing is called Cave Story Plus. If you search for the game on Steam, uh, there is a Mac PC and I think also Linux version of Cave Story available on Steam for the, for the computer uh, that includes all of the content from basically every previous version of the game. So if you want to get a game that has all of the additional content added in the WiiWare version, um, 
you can, as well as, you know, the different art styles, the different, it's got both the original and the WiiWare version soundtrack that you can switch between. Uh, it's probably the definitive version of the game as far as I'm concerned. And as somebody who prefers gaming on a Windows PC, uh, this is the, the version to get if you are choosing. That sounds like a great breakdown. <laughs> Sorry, that so was many... way too much information. Basically, if you no, own a device okay. that has buttons, you can probably play this game on it. And I, I think that's a testament to the success of this game. I mean, it is everywhere. Can you name another game that is on all of the platforms that you just listed? Tetris? Yeah, maybe. Is there a... <laughs> Is there a Wii Tetris? I don't know if there's an official Tetris for any of these. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I'm sure there but, is. But so that's but that's my point. Like, what a successful game mm-hmm. made in someone's basement. Particularly considering there, we, that we keep saying basement. Well, I don't I'm think sure, it's literally. I'm sure made it in was a his tiny Japanese apartment, <laughs> which probably doesn't have a basement because that would probably be way too expensive in Japan. Yeah. But I think that really the the cool thing about this game is what a success story it was for its Artur, its creator, who put this out into the world, not expecting any financial gain from it, just wanting to create something. He wanted this to exist in the world. He wanted this game to be. And he created it, and he put it out there, and everyone in the world loved it so much that uh, multiple versions of this game have been created, and he has financially prospered from it. But I can't tell you how worth your money and time this game is. If you can, oh, yeah. buy this game. If you don't feel like I buying this game, really... get the free version and play that, and you'll want to buy this game anyway. Four years after this game came out, I, we we had games like uh, Braid hitting. Mm-hmm. But at the time this game came out, uh, I don't think that anybody really anticipated the... Um, the big place that indie gaming and platform indie gaming would have in uh, kind of gameplay and mm-hmm. in, in gaming culture today. And, and there was nothing the like incredible this at things the time. That would happen. At the time, if you wanted to make a game that got any kind of attention, most people were putting out 3D games, games with an ever escalating budget and an ever escalating uh, amount of complexity. And this was, this game kind of served to remind everyone that first off, two-dimensional platformers have a lot of life left in them and have continued to ever since. You're still seeing that be a huge proportion of the games that get released on things like Steam or on the PS Vita or other devices like that. Um, but also it reminded people that pixel art graphics were not just a limitation, but they were an art style that could really be a something to be admired, something that were an artistic choice, not just a limitation and also something that could really that could really help bring the budget of independently produced games down because you can create really attractive and appealing art as an individual without having to hire an art department and get a bunch of people to do digital paintings or uh, to do 3d modeling Guys, I'm so glad we got to ch- chat about this game. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say, Reagan, you're doing such a good job. Like, you are doing a really good job with your recaps. And then, so I'm just like, I don't have anything else to add. Shit, guys, so I'm, I'm sorry. Not, no, no, that's good. It's good. I just, it's like, uh, and then I just sit there silently because I'm like, well, I'm, it'll be dead air if I just like, 
Oh, yeah, it sounds good, dude. Oh, so. man. <laughs> well, I love this game, and I'm glad that you guys wanted to talk about it, because I think this is really an important game. It's a fun game, and it's a game that you can go out and get and play right now if you have almost anything that will play games. So... If you are within the sound of my voice and you have not played Cave Story, get it now. If you've already played it, go back and play it again. There's a lot more to explore every time you go back to this game. Killer. I I 100% back that statement up. If you haven't played Cave Story, then you just ought to end your life right now. I don't know if we get want it, to go that far. Yeah. Uh, get your life together and play the game. Mm-hmm. And, then, That's and right. then end your life. No, because you'll never once play. they've played it, it's fine. Okay. They don't want to do that. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us again on another episode of The Short Game. Uh, I have been your host, Reagan. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K, spelled R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. We really need a theme song that, like, sings our names so <laughs> I don't have to spell it every time. Uh, R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. That's Reagan. Yep. Shane, how can people find you? People can find me at 8BitShane, and people can read about my various boring hobbies and daily life. Sweet. And Nate, how can people find out more about you? You can find, you can follow me on Twitter, at NateSTL. Sweet. Nate's also in a band. You want to plug your band, Nate? Sure. You can listen to us um, at BearHiveMusic.com. Or look for us on Twitter at BearHive. They rock. I've finally gotten to listen to just a little bit of it. It's pretty sweet. And also, Nate has a podcast that may have some small overlap for people in our audience. Maybe. Uh, It's pretty specific. If you like the sound of my voice and you are also interested in Cardinal St. Louis Cardinal baseball, I am part of a podcast called Talking About Birds. And you can find more of that at TalkingAboutBirds.com. I have not listened to Talking About Birds, but I am tempted to, even though I am generally disinterested in baseball and the St. Louis Cardinals, just because of the melodious tones of Nate Heininger's <laughs> voice. Yeah, well, we try to keep it. Um, it's obviously the it's about baseball. So if you're not a baseball fan, it won't be interesting to you but we do try to keep it uh on the level where you don't have to be a heavy follower the idea should be that actually we try to accomplish where if you were not able to watch any of the games you could listen to our podcast and feel like you're relatively up to date with how the team is doing awesome well i'm really glad to see that that's uh starting up for a second season so if you want to find out more about our podcast in particular, you can join us at our podcast website, which is theshortgame.net, where we have our podcast archive as well as a contact form for you to leave us uh, little notes about what you liked or hated about the games that we discussed or uh, our voices or whatever else you want to tell us. Uh, we could also love to have you follow our show on Twitter, which is at underscore short game. And hopefully we'll see you again next time for our next exciting episode. Thanks, guys.